So last week we began this new series found in the book of Ephesians calling Leaving Normal Behind, Embracing Your New Life in Christ. And the Apostle Paul wrote this book called The Letter to Ephesians to some of his old friends. He had been there. He'd helped get the church started, and it had grown, and his life had gone on. He'd had plenty of difficulties, lots of challenges. But Paul, you'll find, isn't sitting around wallowing in self-pity or feeling sorry for himself. Now, maybe, you know, maybe Paul didn't have it as tough as we have it. I mean, think about the things you could put on the list of, of things that have disrupted what was supposed to be this ideal year of 2020. You know, COVID disrupting the entire world, the election year rhetoric and uh, promises and accusations and acrimony, the social upheaval, the protesters and the rioters in the streets, um, you know, murder attempts at point blank on policemen, uh, basically attacking law and order, the death of a Supreme Court justice, and then to top it all off, just before going to night-night, you know, we had an earthquake. And uh, so that's kind of all disturbing and unsettling. And, and then that's before you add in your own personal, uh, you know, problems or burdens or challenges along the way. And so here, Paul, though, he's got some that we don't have. He had been beat up several times. He had been uh, uh, stoned and left for dead. And uh, he's sitting in prison in Rome while he's waiting, waiting, waiting for a trial. It seems like it's never going to happen. His crime was that he loved Jesus. And he's convinced that Jesus is God and that Jesus came from heaven uh, to live here on earth and he came to die for the sin of the world, for yours and mine, and uh, that he could offer forgiveness for, for sin because he paid with his own life. So he begins last week when we looked at the first chunk in the Ephesians, he basically said, praise, praise, live your life to the praise of God's glory. And if you, basically he says, count your blessings. God chose us. He adopted us in his family. He blessed us. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He lavished his grace on us. God has given us, has a great inheritance waiting for us in heaven. And the guarantee of that, uh, that uh, inheritance is when you become a believer, he puts the Holy Spirit right in your heart. He lives inside you. So he says, live your whole life to the praise of God's glory. Praise God. And this week then he says, besides praise, he says, pray. Pray like crazy because it makes a difference. I, you know, I know Pastor Micah gave us a whole sermon on prayer a couple of weeks ago and on the importance of prayer in our lives and in our church. But prayer is one of our core values. Prayer changes things. And uh, rather than make people guilty about it, I'm wanting to inspire you to say, how do I spend more time praying? How do I focus my prayers? How do I pray about the right things? And um, so let's look how Paul starts, starting in verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I mean, faith in the Lord Jesus is what brings you into the family of Christian believers. Paul's talking to the family of faith. He's not talking about people outside the family of faith. He wants those that are in the family of faith to grow to maturity in Christ and to maintain unity with each other. He's heard of their love toward the saints, and he compliments on that, them on that. You know, love between people who live together or work together, serve together, sometimes disagree with each other, it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a commitment that you treat each person with dignity and respect, and graciousness and kindness. Those are kind of in short order in our world today, aren't they? And yet South Shores, uh, just through the years, has, uh, stands out because South Shores is kind. They're gracious even when they disagree. And that's really what's needed in our world. And so Paul compliments them on their love for one another, encouraging them to continue this as a discipline and as a lifestyle. 
Verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul says, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. He says, that's what I'm doing here. I'm under house arrest. There's so many things I can't do for you right now, but I can pray. And I'm going to keep praying because prayer makes a difference. Prayer is asking God to give a certain situation more attention. It won't change God, but it will change the person who prays, and it may change the circumstances when God is at work in that situation. Jesus talked a lot about prayer in his ministry. The Sermon on the Mount, kind of his first big sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he says, Ask, seek, and knock. A-S-K. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. In other words, talk to God a lot. He had multiple stories about prayer, about persistence in prayer, and about people who were praying with the, the, the right heart or people who were praying just to go through it for show. And then he even taught them the Lord's Prayer. You remember, Our Father who art in heaven? And um, then Jesus also practiced prayer a lot. He would get up early in the morning while it was still dark outside and go find somewhere quiet and, and uh, pray to God. He would, at the end of a long day of doing messages and miracles, he would ship the disciples off in their boat and then he would go and spend time alone with God. At the Garden of Gethsemane and the dead night before he, he died, Jesus said uh, in, in prayer, uh, you know, Father, I don't want to do this. Maybe the cup can pass away, but not my will, yours be done. So the question is, since God knows every need and he knows how every situation will turn out, why pray? Why pray if God already knows everything and knows what the needs are, he knows how things are going to turn out? Well, here's why. God loves to hear our prayers. He loves to interact with us, not primarily when we have shortages of, God, I need more of this and I need some of that. Would you please give me a dose of this and help me? uh, No, especially, you know, when it's filled with certain deadlines. He wants to hear our prayers. We want our prayers answered, and we want our prayers to make a difference both now and, and forever. So we end up sending up, I've noticed as a church, a lot of prayers about health and about health concerns. And those are okay. Those are good. And they sh- we should be praying when we have those needs. But there are a lot of other prayers to pray besides for our health or our current misfortune or our discomforts or the injustices in this world. I mean, in the next few verses, Paul gives us five great insights to pray on how to pray. None of them happen to be for health. And so I want to give them to you as ideas to, to, to enrich your own prayer life. Here are things you could be praying right alongside of Paul. Paul, I mean, God can give us what we need, but God is also using our prayers to grow our faith. Have you ever noticed, and God did this with Jesus, he did this with Paul, so he's using the same pattern with you and me. We pray to God because we're in a tough situation, and oh, it's so awful, and God just takes me out of this situation, and he doesn't. But he somehow helps see you through this situation. He doesn't take you out of the tough times, but he toughens you up. He gives you, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is demonstrated in your weakness. And he doesn't remove the obstacle, but he helps us move through the difficulties uh, that we're having. I mean, God has this process. We've been adopted into his family. He's in the process of helping us join in to what his family values are. And we do that by spending more time with our older brother, Jesus. So the more we talk with God, the more we spend time in his presence, the more we begin to think like Christ and respond like Christ in the world around us that doesn't think or respond like Christ. So that's good. That helps us become fully devoted followers. So look at Paul's focus, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, God is the Father, and he's the Father of glory. 
Paul has just expressed that we are supposed to live our lives in such a way that people see us and then give glory to God. People are watching you. It happens all the time. And it's not just when things are going nice. People are watching us when they, we have setbacks or loss or disappointment or, or griefs or tragedy of some sort. And they're watching to say, does it make any difference that Jesus is alive in that person? And when it does, then they'll end up going, well, that's not a normal reaction to whatever the setback was. They, it must be because she loves God. It must be because he's in relationship with Jesus. And they give glory to God. So just the way a microphone picks up the human voice and magnifies it, our lives are to magnify the love and compassion and forgiveness and the patience and kindness of God to the people around us. So Paul gives us this prayer checklist, five items on it. I have, I'm guessing that these are the same things that Paul's thinking about, praying for, and dealing with himself. So Paul is praying actively and enthusiastically, encouraging his friends and fellow believers to pray regardless of the circumstances they find themselves in, or maybe because of the circumstances, or maybe they're feeling under the circumstances. He says, pray these, and your love relationship with Jesus will grow deeper and stronger. Number one, look at verse 17. Pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It says, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, we believe that God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one person seen three different ways. When you pray for Jesus to become your Savior and forgive your sin, <clears throat> Jesus told us that God's Holy Spirit moves into your heart and into your life. Long before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah explained or predicted that when God's Spirit would, would come onto the Messiah, who was later to be found to be Jesus. And here's what it says in Isaiah 11:2. He said, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. God's spirit gives wisdom. God's spirit gives understanding. God's spirit gives counsel. God's spirit gives power. God's spirit gives knowledge. God's spirit gives us the fear of the Lord, a healthy respect for God and what God can do in our lives. Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of God's spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the kind of things that grow when God's Spirit is alive in our lives. Paul said, pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Turn God's Spirit free in the meadow of your mind, and look what happens, what begins to grow, what begins to bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're all good things. They make our lives and our other relationships richer and stronger. But you know the best part? It doesn't really come out, by the way, in the English Standard Version, which I just read from. Um, we used to look at the New International Version, and this verse in New International says this. I think it's a little clearer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. Why does God reveal himself to us? Because he wants to be known by you. He wants you to know him better. He wants you to be able to think about what would God say? What would God think? How would God respond in this situation? Would he be pleased? Now, I've been hanging out with Cindy for 
about 39 years, and I know her pretty well. And so when somebody comes up with an idea for Cindy that I know doesn't, isn't going to work, I'm able to, to guess. Now, sometimes she'll still surprise me, and I suppose that's good. But God says he was going to reveal himself to you so that you get to know him better because he wants us to know him, and he wants us to love him for who he really is and to put him in charge in our lives and to trust him and follow him and to know him better. My, my dad, when I was in college, would mail me a letter every week to encourage me. My mom, I think I got two from her, and it was wonderful, you know, in, in, in all those years. But no, I'm, I'm kidding. She didn't write nearly as much, but he would write every week a letter, and he, it would be a letter. Because he had been a teacher, it would have perfect cursive letters, you know, and, and big, like he was still writing to a third grader. And um, then also, it wasn't just a letter. There would be a tract to tell about how to become a Christian because how to love Jesus. Well, I, you know, I, I was baptized when I was seven and uh, have loved Jesus my whole life, but there would always be a tract and there was always a bulletin from the Sunday where he'd gone to church that last Sunday in here and then there would be a page of news that he thought was important from U.S. News and World Report that was torn out and then there would be some money, some cash. And, and every letter came in looking, this, always had the same package and on the outside of the letter it always said, you know, God loves you, Jesus saves, John 3.16, you know, repent and turn to the Lord and those kind of things all on the outside of the envelope in big letters so the, if there's any postal clerk looking at it, they would think, oh, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. Now, I didn't learn until later. He, every day of his life, adult life, he wrote a letter to somebody sharing Jesus with them. That was his goal. Write at least one letter every day telling the good news of Jesus. Be a conduit of that good news. Well, one of my siblings got one of these letters, which was really a package uh, from my dad, um, and he got offended. He says, why is he cramming that stuff down my throat? And I realized he didn't really know our dad as well as he thought because dad didn't single it out to just preach at him through the mail. Dad did that in every letter he sent, every one. So my dad's gone on to heaven now, but for a few years, he and my mom would mail their offering here to South Shores and uh, just to participate with us. And of course, it wasn't just a check. You know, in it, there was a letter in perfect handwriting, and there was a tract, and there was a bulletin from where he'd gone to church, and there was a page from U.S. News and World Report. And on the outside of the envelope, you guessed it, Jesus loves you, John 3, 16. And Casey Golson saw one of these, and she said, what's going on? I said, oh, every letter I've gotten from him my whole life looks just like that. And, uh, and so... That week, she's putting together the letter for people who are homebound or can't make it to church because we've done that for a number of years. And she comes to my office and she says, uh, Pastor Ty says, you got any cash? I said, what do you need cash for from me? She's, I said, you running short of cash? She says, no, no, I'm writing a letter to your dad. And you know, he always includes money. And so I thought I'd just get it from you. <laughs> so she had gotten to know him better. She knew what, what, what it was that made him tick and what, you know what I'm saying? God is saying he wants, he gives us the spirit of revelation so that we get to know him better. So he says, pray for God's spirit to give you wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Have you spent any time praying instead of saying, God, give me this and give me this and give me this, saying, God, give me some insight into who you are and how you tick and what's on your heart and how I would follow you because you're really in charge. Second thing he says, pray for the eyes of your heart to focus. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, I know we're in time of COVID, and so a lot of people have been avoiding things that they, you know, been putting things off, like going to the eye doctor. Anybody here? 
Okay, so here's the eye chart. Okay, okay. Cover one eye, which line can you read? Okay, try it, try it. Cover the other eye. Yep, you're due. It's time. You're, you're really, you're running behind, right, to go see the eye, eye doctor. You probably need to be examined. Now, the irony is that while, when this scripture is written, it's written by a guy who was struck down on the ground and stood up and was blind after Jesus got a hold of his attention. And he was blind for three days. Somebody came and did a miracle who didn't want to for him, and so he got his sight. But it appears in the Bible that eyesight was a problem for Paul all the rest of his life. So here's a guy that was blind for a while, then could hardly see. He had, you know, instead of 20-20, he had 22,000 vision after that. And he's saying to us, have the eyes of your heart opened, enlightened, focused. Do you see only from your own point of view? Do you see from the world's point of view? Or do you see from God's point of view? Do you know, every day since COVID started, since we moved out and stopped having church, in the first hour, we have a choir. It has about 80 people. And Pastor Bob Perry has uh, had them under his wings. So every day since it started, he has sent a devotional to them and uh, gives them some thought, has sent them an email to encourage them. He's asked all their favorite songs and had everybody respond. He's asked their favorite verses and had them respond. He's asked their favorite, I suppose, you know, their favorite color or their favorite pastor or their favorite grandkid, you know, different stuff. And um, uh, <clears throat> so if you want to get a love note every day, well, then join the choir because the, the Pastor Bob will write to you every day. And, and uh, here's one that he sent out this week that's right on the topic of what we're talking about. In 2007, in January... In the Washington, D.C. metro station, it was a cold morning, but there was a man playing a violin. He was playing pieces from Bach, very intricate, very complicated pieces. It took about an hour to play all six. Each one's about 10 minutes long. And during that time, about 2,000 people walked right past where he was. After three minutes, a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing, and he slowed his pace, and he listened for a couple of seconds, and then he hurried off. At four minutes, the violinist got his first dollar. Somebody put a dollar in, in a hat out in front of him, but she didn't stop. She just kept walking. At six minutes, a young man leaned back against the wall for a few seconds. Then he noticed his watch, and he got run into his train. At 10 minutes, a three-year-old boy stopped, and he really wanted to stay, but his mom grabbed him by the hand and pulled him. He's still looking over his shoulder, wanting to watch the musician, and she's kind of saying, come on, honey, we got to go. go." And they observed that every parent, without exception, forced their children to keep moving, even when the kids wanted to stay and listen. After 45 minutes, the musician had played continuously. Only six people had stopped and listened for any significant period of time. About 20 gave money, but they continued to walk at their normal pace. The man collected $32. After one hour, he stopped playing, and silence took over. Nobody noticed. Nobody clapped. No, there was no recognition, and nobody knew it, but this was the famous violinist, Joshua Bell. He's one of the greatest musicians in the world. He had just two nights before that filled the house, uh, sold it out in Boston, playing the same music on his violin, which was a, uh, worth $3.5 million. And he's uh, playing these intricate pieces written by Bach. This is a true story. Would you have stopped to listen to some of the best music in the world played on one of the best instruments in the world played by uh, one of the best musicians? Or would you have said, oh, I'm in a hurry? See, it was out of place. People expect to hear that stuff in a symphony hall. They don't expect to hear it in the train station. 
Paul said, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. We sing songs about this. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Do you see what I see? Oh, Christmas. Okay. Okay. You, you see what I'm saying? Is we, we ask the question, but what really happens when your eyes of your heart are opened, you begin to see and look at life through the lens of the Holy Spirit. That's different than how you and I would naturally look at life. You begin to see what's really important to God and to your life. It changes your heart. The word heart here is talking about the place where you think and feel and decide, where you determine the direction of your life. And Paul prays a great prayer. God, help us to see what you really want us to see. Help me to get you in focus, is what he's saying. Because the more we look to God, the better our lives come into focus of what really matters and of what's important and what has eternal value. Number three, he said, pray you see the hope to which he called you. God has called you. God has called you. Yes, you, by name. Against all odds, God loves you, and he's called you. And hope is believing in a promise, like this one. Hoping against all odds, against all obvious clues, holding on to hope. God loves to deal in hope. You know where he best shines in those? When the situation looks hopeless, when it's broken and it's dim and you're at the end of your rope. God talked to the Roman church about this as well. He said, may the God of hope cause you to abound in hope. Abound in hope. It's most obvious when it's like a candle in the dark. When the situation and mood and morale seem hopeless. Here's what Paul said in Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that... Now watch this. Ready? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Jesus justifies us by faith, which puts us at peace with God. We have the hope of his glory. So when we suffer, if we do it right, look at the process. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Sometimes we think, those problems are going to destroy me. God's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to develop you. And he even did that with Christ. Suffering, endurance, character, hope. Okay, true confessions. Who would say here, okay, I've actually, in this last year, I've actually done some suffering. Okay. Okay, well then, good. You're on the 20-yard on the line. It's first and 10. Okay, in other words, you're just getting started. Okay, who says, I've been working on endurance? I've, I've had some endurance in my suffering. Okay, so you're probably, you've made progress. You're about the 50-yard line, all right? Who says, I've developed some godly character? Yeah, now you're close enough to kick a field goal. And who says, I have hope that could only be explained because of Jesus? It's not because of the situation. Okay, that's a touchdown. I mean, look with those spiritual eyes that he gave you. There are better days ahead. This world is not all there is. God has you here for a reason, but he has prepared something so much better coming in the future. So see the hope of his calling? He's got a job for you to do here for a period of time, so don't miss what he's got you to do here, and then he's got heaven waiting for us for all eternity in the presence of Jesus. 
And so God didn't remove the hardships from Jesus' life. He didn't remove the hardships from Paul's life. He's not going to remove the hardships from yours. But he's going to empower you with the Holy Spirit, give you the strength and the wisdom to persevere. So pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pray for the eyes of your heart to focus. Pray that you see the hope of his calling. And then number four, pray you see what a treasure you are to God. Look at what he says. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Eric was talking about inheritance. And it came up last week in Ephesians 1 that we have obtained an inheritance that God has given us. But that's not what he's talking about. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? Whose inheritance? God's inheritance. We say, how could God inherit something when he owns everything, he created everything, everything belongs to God, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's true, except for one thing. God made the universe. God made the world. God made men. God made a woman. And he gave one thing away. He gave people free choice. He says, you've got a free choice. Otherwise, we'd all be robots, and you'd love God because you had to. So God knew with free choice, some people are going to choose not to love him, to reject him, to reject his forgiveness, to go their own way, to plan their own life to their own disaster. But some people would respond to his overture of love. They would ask for forgiveness from their sin. They would recognize that he is the Lord. They would submit the plans of their life to him to say, you be in charge. They would joyfully celebrate everything that he has in this life and go right on celebrating with him into the next. Those are kind of the two choices. You and I are God's inheritance when we choose to follow him. We give him our love voluntarily, and he's pleased. When I worked at a camp early in the spring one year, a single mom and her 10-year-old presented themselves and asked for a tour. They looked like they'd been having a fight in the car, but honestly, before, you know, right before they got out, but I didn't say anything about that. But the mom said, we're going to have a tour of this camp. The kid's going, Mom, let's go. And, <clears throat> and she said, I'm looking for a camp where I can leave him for 10 weeks of the summer. And he's going, I don't want to go to camp. And I said, well, our camp's just one week. She said, well, then I'll sign him up 10 times. And I, I, I said, because... She says, I need to make some extra money at a second job so that I could pay for camp and buy him nice things. And the kids spoke up and said, Mom, I don't want to go to camp, and I don't want more nice things. I just want to be with you. That's what God's saying to you and to me. I don't need your stuff. I just want to be with you. God takes delight in our voluntary praise and adoration and our attention and our affection in listening to his voice, in responding in obedience. And th that's his inheritance. It's the only thing that's ours is we get to choose. Am I going to be in love with God, love Jesus, or do it my own? Our free choice is to love God. And when we do, God loves it. So he says, pray that you see what a treasure you are to God. And finally, number five, pray you factor in the greatness of his power. Now, this is actually about half the scripture that we're looking at today. Paul waxed eloquent on this. I'm out of time. Let me just read it. It says, see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to his church. 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul's saying God has the power to even raise somebody from the dead. Jesus is the greatest deaf person who ever lived, and every knee will bow before him. So why not bow yours voluntarily? That Jesus is the head of the church, his body in this world. We are his eyes and ears, his hands and feet. And our response is we can choose to exercise our free choice to invite God to be an active partner in our life, in fact, to be in charge. And we, he will give us his wisdom and focus and fill us with hope from his spirit. Because you are a treasure and God's got the power. So really, whether you wanted it to or not, you have left normal behind. So pray like crazy, because it makes a difference. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, even in this moment, speak to our hearts. Cause us to think your thoughts. May we submit ourselves and our will and our plans and our worries and our fears and our concerns. May we just give all of those to you as a gift today for you to do as you would. Thank you that we can share together. So speak to us. What's the next step we need to take to worship you with our whole heart? Thank you for loving us. Amen.